So there's this song you might have heard. As you promised me that I was more than all the miles combined, you must have. This is Stick Season by Vermont musician Noah Kahn. He spent his formative years in Stratford, Vermont, and Noah told a music blog that his song is about seeing the other side of a place you thought was only beautiful. His inspiration for the song makes sense. During the height of the pandemic, the music industry all but completely halted for the touring songwriter. So Noah packed up his guitar and moved back home to Vermont. But he didn't stop writing. In fact, Noah wrote Stick Season during this time and threw it up on TikTok, as you do. And then something happened that rarely happens with Vermont music. It hit. Like, really hit. At last count, the record has amassed more than 300 million streams. The success of the song was not lost on Sarah Morin. Yeah, and I actually had not, or at least it hadn't sunk in, the phrase stick season. But when I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, it's perfect description for that period of time where, you know, fall, which is so robust and beautiful. And we end up with so many people coming to Vermont to experience fall. And then that lull in between when we get snow and we're celebrating holidays and yeah, stick season nailed it. Sarah's from Windsor, not far from where Noah grew up. And the global success of stick season got her thinking about our small state and its mighty impact on the rest of the world. And he has clips from different concerts and different events that he did where just the sea of people screaming that line from the chorus, like, I love Vermont. And just how amazing is it that he has gotten all these people all over to scream about their love for Vermont. And then I was sort of wondering, like, do they even know what Vermont is? Sarah shared her curiosity with us, and then we shared it with you by way of a public voting round, which is how we choose our listener questions we answer here on the show. And it turns out you, the people, also want to know. Noah Khan's stick season has folks all over singing about Vermont, and I wonder what else has put Vermont on the cultural radar across the country and the world. So this is where I crack my knuckles, roll up my sleeves, and dive into some serious Vermont cachet. Welcome to a pop culture version of Brave Little State, a listener-powered journalism show from Vermont Public and a proud member of the NPR Network. And here's a pop culture theme song to get us in the mood, inspired by a man and his mittens. Please enjoy the Bernie Meme song, written by local musicians Ari Joshua, Russ Lawton, and Ray Pikowski. I'm Myra Flynn. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. If you're from someplace like New York, people have a sense of what New York looks like. Or if you're from LA, people have a sense of what LA is. So I started thinking about what what do people have as touch points for Vermont? Sarah's question about what I'm deeming Vermont cultural phenomena seemed easy and fun enough to answer. However, I needed help. No one person can know all the Vermont hipness. So I reached out to some of you on our BLS Instagram. Thank you for all those responses. Did my own research and then called in some heavy hitter Vermont experts for a roundtable discussion. Hi, who are you? And why do you think you're here? (laughs) Um, I I applied to, I I replied to, replied to the Craigslist ads. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say, you applied? There was an application. That's how we did our guests these days. I was buying a laptop. I didn't know that was going to be on the radio. We'll hear more insight and plenty of jokes from these Vermont experts later. But first, I wanted to hear from folks who don't live in Vermont about Vermont. Lucky for me, I split my time between Vermont and Los Angeles. So back in L.A., I went to the Vermontiest place I could think of, a street called Vermont Avenue. Sounds like a lot of people live here. Let's just say I got a mixed bag of responses. Hi. What do you know about Vermont? Well, it's a street that right here, <laughs> and it goes this way. When I say Vermont, the state, what do you think of? Uh, forests, a lot of green, cold in the winter, mountains. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> when somebody says Vermont, what do you think of? Snow. <laughs> very beautiful yeah awesome do you sir have any feedback on vermont well i believe they make a couple of the best beers on the east coast that's heady it. topper yeah, and what's the other one the alchemist or whatever yeah, or the alchemist yeah. makes mm -hmm. heady topper yeah. they make darn fine beers that's true hi so, oh i don't i don't speak spanish what is the interview <laughs> careful yeah thanks let's get out of the street what do people know about vermont the state very small have you been? No, but I know this. I know. I was in Chicago. Oh, okay. For a long time. Well, Chicago is pretty far away from Vermont. <laughs> yes, but it's still in the East Coast. What do people know about the state? The seafood. That's the number the seafood? one. Probably, yeah, probably the, the, the one, the, the clam chowder. Oh, clam chowder. <laughs> <laughs> Can I interview you? Like if I say Vermont, the state, what do you think about? cow what makes you think about cows i don't know i just saw a cow in my head i do actually think i uh, potentially knew one person from vermont but she also might have been from virginia back in vermont the state i sat down with some legit vermonters for more conversation uh, I, I i know can i go first yes <laughs> did they say um where in canada is that <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I think most people don't know much about Vermont and don't care much about Vermont. And Vermonters don't like to think that. But I think when I moved from L.A. back to Vermont, I kept getting quoted by moving companies like, oh, that's really cheap. And I had to be like, no, 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 the state, not the avenue. And they were like, where, where is that? My, my guess would be uh, the Holy Trinity, probably Ben and Jerry's, Bernie Sanders and Fish. Is that the Holy Trinity for you? Is that I the mean, Holy Trinity for all of you? Those are the things you? that kind of come to mind. Mm -hmm. I think you could probably substitute those with like maple syrup or skiing and snowboarding, but um, I feel like those are the big ones. These are my Vermont experts. You'll hear some debate about whether or not they would call themselves that. There's my colleague Jane Lindholm, host and executive producer and creator of But Why, a podcast for curious kids, and former host of our Vermont public program, Vermont Edition, for nearly 15 years. I think I'm here because you couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you needed a colleague. Busted. There's Louise Calderon, who worked for Burton Snowboards, and as the director of Art, Culture, and the Youth Vote for the 2016 Bernie Sanders campaign. As a Cuban kid from Miami, uh, coming up to Burlington, Vermont, before the internet, to say that it was some uh, culture shock would say the least. And last but not least, Dan Bowles. He's the assistant arts director for seven days and was the music editor there for 10 years. I'm pretty sure that I am here to atone for my journalistic sins. <laughs> I, I just realized that I have written about every single person in this room no at way. some point in the last 15 years. We are years. digging yeah. up those articles. Sometimes fairly in This is your career, and that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's what we're here for. It's all about me. I consider this roundtable of folks to be some of the smartest, funniest, and worldliest folks I know. Plus, it was just great fun to sit in studio and chop it up together about Sarah's question and all the things that put Vermont on the cultural radar. Full disclosure, we are going to miss some things, and you might disagree with some of the things that are on here. And not to worry, you can always email us at hello at bravelittlestate.org to keep this conversation going. But for today, we're going to talk it out in real time. 
And I'm just going to start with the obvious, maple syrup. Anything to say about that? I'll take this one. (laughs) (laughs) Says the Cuban guy from Miami. (laughs) I love it. Yo, for real, I do not uh, have anything other than Vermont maple syrup ever anywhere. And that is... Uh, it's really funny because there's like a fake maple syrup, Vermont made, M-A-I-D. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like a, you know, uh-huh. just one of those, one of those maple syrups you buy in the grocery store all over the country or maple that style. flavored syrup. Maple flavored syrup. Yeah. Um, like a maid. Totally. From Vermont. Right. And that and that's who, was on the cover who makes of maple the, syrup. <laughs> who serves maple syrup? She, well, she's serving. She it. serves the pancakes. You no, know, the bottle is shaped like a woman. Well, so that's the bottom Aunt Jemima. Is her dress. That's same Aunt Jemima. idea. The same idea. Yeah. She was. Uh, so anyway, that was a national play on Vermont maple syrup, and uh, but Vermont maple syrup, it's like that's you know the you end. Know, at the end. That's it. <laughs> it's not really real unless it's Vermont maple syrup. I mean, the thing about Vermont maple syrup is Vermont makes the most maple syrup in the the United States by far. And it definitely has the reputation for the best maple syrup. And I think everybody in Vermont would say it is the best maple syrup. But all we have to do is step across the border to Canada and they dwarf our consumption and our production of maple syrup. There is a strategic reserve for maple syrup in Quebec and they store it there. Quebec's well, and Canada sets the price, the global price of maple syrup, which is actually really good for Vermont because we don't have quotas like Canadian producers do, but we benefit from the high prices set by the quota system in Canada, which is how they do a lot of different agricultural systems, including milk, which we could also talk about when it comes to Vermont. But, you know, we we think of ourselves as this amazing maple syrup producing state, and we are, but Canada looks at us and laughs. But to other people around the globe... Think about Vermont and maple syrup as synonymous more so than Canada and maple syrup. Not in Japan. Mm. They're eating maple syrup or drinking it, depending on how you look I at eat this. my I'm maple just, syrup right. with a fork. <laughs> but they're getting mostly Canadian maple syrup. So we have the prestige, but not necessarily the consumption. Take that. We have the brand. We have the brand. Brand is, is the winner here because right. that's like the perception is reality. Um, in reality, you know, Canada produces more, but the the uh, North America, l- lots of other parts of the, c- the world know it as Vermont maple. Yeah. So then in that particular yeah. case, uh, the, brand, Vermont wins. the brand wins. wins. <laughs> yeah. But we'll stick with this because you said something about dairy. What is this dairy yeah. stuff? All right. All right. So now that I'm on my soapbox, Myra, <laughs> let's talk about cheese. You want to talk about cheese? Same thing. Yes. Like if you're from Wisconsin, you probably think you're the cheese state, right? But we're like, oh, no, we're the cheese state. Have you had Hill Farms? Oh, no, that's beer. Hill's Farmstead is the beer. Have you had? <laughs> Get it together, Jane. Jasper Hill. <laughs> Jasper yes. Hill. Have you had Jasper Hill cheese? It's so good. Sure. If you can afford $18 cheese, but if you're just going to buy some cheddar, you know, again, like, well, I'm getting the, the Cabot cloth bound for my grilled cheese sandwiches, which is on the sourdough. They're the that best I have made. grilled cheese sandwiches and we, on sourdough. Yes, we have amazing cheese, but also, like, when it comes to production, when it comes to how other people think of the cheese, it's all in the eye of the cheese eater, right? <laughs> Man, that, Dan, is, a, that Dan, is an amazing quote. All right. There's some other products, right, that are coming from these cows, like ice cream. I do think Ben and Jerry's is one of those cultural touchstones that I think most people associate most people with know. Vermont. Yeah. Okay. Ben and Jerry's, uh, it really was one of these, um, ver- you know, early Vermont businesses uh, that took it nationally, internationally through uh, licensing and or just opening up their own little shops all over the place. So it was really one of those brands that from South Beach in Miami to Australia, within a period of a few years, Vermont had an actual brick and mortar representation in many cities all over the country, all over the world. So that forced people to say, what is this brand? And then learn a little bit about the state that it came from and the values that, that, you know, it represents through Vermont. I'm already <laughs> feeling bad for some of the. Th- I'm no, feeling no, no, terrible it's all good, about it's all like. Good. Um, I'm just yeah. gonna revoke her Vermont card real quick. I, I just want to say, really. <laughs> for the record, where do you live? I love Jasper Hill cheese. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> 
you know, there are some things that Vermont isn't necessarily known for, but that it did have a really important role in pushing forward. And I think some people know, for example, that Vermont played a really big role in marriage equality, but maybe don't realize what Vermont's early legislation on that did for the rest of the country in helping to create momentum. And Farm to Table is another one of those. Patrick Leahy was a very early supporter of agricultural programs that connected farmers and schools, for example, so farm to school. And that's something that is more prominent now in American um, po- politics and in just the way schools around the country serve food to students, not everywhere, but but there is more of a national policy on that. And that's because of a Vermont push, but I don't think it's known as a Vermont thing. So there's also right. some some areas where even though we're small in stature, we have had some influence that has gone kind of under the radar. Um, Beer. Beer. Talk to me. I love beer. beer <laughs> well, you're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this stack gets um, thrown around a lot when people talk about um, beer in Vermont, that we have more breweries per capita than any place in the country. Um, and I think a lot of the craft boom um, that uh, the country has experienced over the, the last few years. A lot of that can be attributed to some things that have been happening in Vermont. Um, you know, the the craft beer movement really kind of predates when Vermont got into it. It was kind of more of a West Coast phenomenon that kind of migrated its way east. But I think thanks to some kind of early adopters, um, brands like Magic Hat, um, Long Trail, Catamount, really kind of helped to raise the profile of, um, of craft beer in Vermont and uh, turned a lot of people... Um, onto it, and it's just kind of exploded um, from there. And now I feel like, you know, Vermont is, you know, along with like um, skiing and maybe like some weed tourism, like beer tourism is a real thing. Like people come to Vermont um, specifically to go to all these incredible breweries that we have here. So it's really something else that's kind of put uh, put Vermont on the map. When we come back. The topic that inspired this episode, arts and entertainment. We'll talk more music, some notable authors, and Vermont as a backdrop for some of your favorite films. Sort of. That's right after this. Welcome back to a pop culture version of Brave Little State. Today, we're answering a question from Sarah Morin of Windsor about Vermont and the pop culture stuff we're known for around the world. To answer Sarah's question, I called in some heavy hitter Vermont experts. We've created a master list of Vermont cultural phenomena and broken it up into categories. So far, we've covered a whole lot of food and drink. Next up, the category that inspired this episode. Arts and entertainment. Um, Listen. There's this thing where people are saying that they're filming in Vermont. They have scenes set in Vermont, entire movies. There's Hallmark movies set in Vermont. Netflix's Wednesday that's set in Jericho, but it's actually in, in Romania. It's, it's shot in Romania. Um, what up with that? Dan, you so know stuff. I, I do. I do know some stuff. And we should have really invited uh, Louise Guzman, one of the stars yeah. of Wednesday, to come here because he uh, he lives in Vermont and he's also a champion um, behind uh, for kind of solving one of the problems that prevents film companies from filming here in uh, in large fashion, which is that uh, Vermont doesn't offer um, any sort of financial incentive or tax credits, especially um, to film here. So, you know, if you watch the end of your favorite Netflix show, a lot of times you'll see the Georgia peach at the end of it. And that's because Georgia um, is very generous um, about making it financially easy uh, for film companies to to shoot there. So they do. Um, Vermont doesn't do that. So um, they're not here. And we don't have a lot of the infrastructure that you might need um, to have a robust um, film business here. Um, but then why be set in Vermont at all? Like, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Why not set it somewhere where you can you can go and film? Cachet! Haven't we talked about cachet well, I'm, tr- yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> There's also this movie, White Christmas, which Dan is not shy about calling. A classic Christmas movie. Um, stars Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye um, tap dancing, singing the song White Christmas. I said I was going to sing this song at the end tonight. I'm dreaming you watch um, it every Christmas. <laughs> I, well, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but um, it is—it's a great movie. Um, 
it is set in Vermont, this fake town. Uh, I think it's Pine Ridge, Vermont. Um, it was filmed in Los Angeles. Um, and I think that kind of helped to create um, this sort of mystique around uh, picture-perfect Vermont for the holidays, wintry, um, kind of Hallmark uh, kind of scene. Um, so Hallmark has filmed a bunch of uh, their Christmas movies, which I don't know if I should admit this over the air, but I'm like secretly an addict of Hallmark Christmas <laughs> Are you movies. Really? Oh Are man, you? I love them. They're so dumb. Um, <laughs> but only one of them that I know of was actually filmed um, in Vermont. And the rest of them are all pretty much filmed um, in Western Canada. There was one uh, where they're at like a Christmas, a Christmas tree farm and there's mountains in the background and they are very clearly the Canadian Rockies. They look, <laughs> they resemble nothing um, to uh, to the Green Mountains. It's, I don't know, pretty funny. But. Well, do you remember the Captain Phillips movie, which was, of course, about Captain Phillips, who is from Vermont and um, had his ship hijacked and was held captive for a while? Look at me. Sure. I'm the captain now. And I remember when we all, you know, all Vermonters went to watch that movie, there's a scene where he's going to the Burlington airport and it's on like a five lane highway <laughs> with overpasses. And, you know, it's just one of those scenes where you're like, oh, come on. And then there are some films that have been shot here, right? Me, myself and Irene. My husband was actually in that movie because there were so few black men in Vermont when they needed extras. And I, I don't know if you remember, but there were three black kids um, that were his sons in that movie. And so they swapped my husband in as an extra. You might have met your husband then because they filmed a bunch of those scenes in Middlebury. And, you know, as a kid of divorce, I was living in Vermont in the summers and I couldn't walk home from my waitressing job because the film crew had blocked the one road home to my house. So every day I was like, damn you, me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> I walk two miles more oh to get home. Um, Beetlejuice, right, was filmed here. And then Funny Farm and Baby Boom. And then uh, some things y'all wanted to talk about, like the Bob Newhart show. Uh, I'll take that one. Yes. <laughs> Tell me all about it. <laughs> Says the Cuban guy from Miami. <laughs> I think we're, that's just going to, we're going to preface everything you say I just think that. it's hilarious. First of all, it's hilarious that I even live here, right? Like, that's like the whole thing. Like, that's its own show. That's its own show. And so the Bob Newhart show was like uh, late 70s, I think, early 80s. But the Newhart show was mid to mid 80s to early 90s. And that show, they were like, he was an innkeeper with his wife and they had they had moved from somewhere. And the whole show was about sort of a big city guy repositioning himself in a quaint Vermont little town. And then all the uh, cast of characters that were like sort of the Vermont archetype characters, mm -hmm. uh, namely... Um, Larry, Larry Daryl and Daryl. And his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl. Hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. That's my other brother Daryl. <laughs> so for me, as a kid, watching TV uh, during that time, uh, coming from a world where it was like Miami Vice, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, then, and then moving to Vermont, it was literally like I went from Miami Vice to the Newhart show, you know? And so I always talk about that in terms of the uh, juxtaposition, cultural juxtaposition I experienced because it was really like, uh, what? You know, like, who? Are, what's going on here? And you watched it and put maple syrup on your churros. Right. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Music is part of the inception of this episode. Noah Kahn's Stick Season is what Sarah Morin is asking about. Why do you think that song has gone so viral? I think it was TikTok. But there's I think a lot the of TikTok, stuff on TikTok. Like, why this song? There's a lot of stuff that's TikTok that we have no idea because we have jobs. Like, we're not on TikTok all day. Like, so Speak for yourself. So, I mean, I, you know. Jane is always uh, on TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I will speak for myself. But I will say that I know that it was it was it it has percolated there and uh, bubbled up there. And there's been a couple of, a few other sort of Vermonti moments that happen in TikTok that you wouldn't even know about. A house somewhere in Vermont that has a really beautiful like vista view and um it became one of these like places you have to see, take a picture at most most picturesque spot in Vermont or whatever on Instagram and then people just like flock to the house mm -hmm. because it's on a 
top thing to do when you go there kind of thing, you know? Wild. That, uh, was that Sleepy Hollow? Yeah, yeah exactly. It was, uh, yep. the, I think, Joe Perry from Aerosmith. That's right, his... exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 yeah, I don't think he owns it anymore, but he did for a while. And yeah, you're right. It, it's become this, like, hmm. destination for Instagrammers to go to and, and take pictures there. Hmm. But so so that's, the, you know, what I'm getting at is the role of social media mm-hmm. uh, in identifying some of these things about Vermont the quintessential state where those movies take place, it's really, you could you could distill that all down to the word wholesome. That's what is, people say, oh, that's so wholesome. Like that feeling mm. is wholesome for a demographic that for the last five years plus is just, you know, that's their escape. It's just little moments like mm. that when they watch things like that, which is why so many young people watch, you know, those kind of movies. I don't know why Dan is watching it so much, but... <laughs> Part is weird. Because I'm a like wholesome age, guy, damn it. He's pretty wholesome. But Dan understands and, and at, a, at a gut level understands wholesome. And so that's what, you know, Vermont represents uh, wholesome to a lot of uh, a lot of people on social. I think that makes sense. Um, it's also just a great song. Yeah. The musical, Town. I mean, the wonderful thing about Hadestown, again, this is one of those examples, I think, of something that was born in Vermont, but people outside of Vermont don't necessarily connect it to Vermont. But Vermonters are really proud of Anais Mitchell and really proud that Hadestown kind of bubbled up here. It was a little little touring show. She wrote it. She She's from here. She went to college here. She lived here. She wrote it here and then toured it around places like Montpelier. And, you know, people saw it in those early days and loved it. And so I think here in Vermont, Vermont, we have this pride in somebody who created this amazing thing here. And it's not known as a part of Vermont, but we in Vermont know, you know, we claim Anais Mitchell, whether she wants us or not. I claim Anais Mitchell. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I covered it when it was uh, when Anais was first staging it. And um, I sat in on all the rehearsals at the Barry Labor Hall, like this tiny, like out of the way place in Barry. Um and that production, like, you know, had a ton of local uh, folks, uh, like Mir- Miriam Bernardo um, was in the cast. Uh, um, and Rob Morris is Rob now. Morris, and he's still involved, which is yeah. kind of um, where I was going to with that, which, um, you know, there's still like a really strong Vermont connection to Town beyond just Aeneas. Like Michael Chorney um, is still involved as, as uh, the, the composer and band leader. Um, Rob is still playing bass in, in the orchestra. So um, it's just a really cool uh, Vermont success story. Speaking of a Vermont success story, a little band called Fish. You might have heard of them. <laughs> What's up with that? Let's stick with you, Dan. Sure. Uh, I think if we're talking about phenomena from Vermont um, as it relates to music, the conversation kind of begins and ends with Fish. They are almost unfathomably huge. Um, back in the 1990s when they were kind of at their peak, like they were regularly in the like top four or five um, highest grossing touring bands on the planet. Um, even now, um, they don't tour that much anymore. They play a handful of shows per year. Um, they're still in like the top 25 all time. Um, the company on that list are folks like Madonna, um, Elton John, Metallica, like iconic, iconic um, artists. And then there's this like weird, freaky band <laughs> from <laughs> Vermont. But to me, like beyond just sort of the incredible popularity, um, they fish kind of became synonymous with Vermont music. Um, and that had a whole ripple effect um, down through the Vermont music scene, um, where Burlington became known as this jam band haven. When I was at UVM, like there were literally people who went to UVM just because Fish was from Burlington. Um, like that was that was a thing. Um, and so it's had all of these kind of um, sort of tentacles, like ripple effects um, from their uh, kind of incredible popularity. Um, and one of those ripple effects might be a certain ice cream that we mentioned at the top. Fish of the food, sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's kind of like the joining of, um, you know, two, two huge Vermont things. Do you know that Brave Little State put out an entire episode? My colleague Josh Crane put out an entire episode on the history of fish and talked to a bunch of fans. You should listen to it. Perhaps I will. I think everyone should listen to it. Um, we should definitely go from a super white jam bandy band to an all black punk band. <laughs> well, I, I, we're talking about the the legendary 
death. I'm, I mean, I am. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about death. I'm talking about death. And, and I will do my best to just talk about death and their uh, importance to the entire musical family tree and the brothers Hackney from Jericho. I believe they're from Jericho. Um, before they moved here, they were from Detroit, uh, the mid early 70s. Dan, you could jump in on this too if when you have the I'm sure color some of the yeah and some you're of doing the details. you're doing good so far but they uh, early seventies known as a proto punk band so just before like the Ramones like maybe by like a couple of years before the Ramones influenced by um, uh, sort of uh, Alice Cooper and that sort of era of music not. Huh? MC5. MC5, huge MC5. And not the sound, not the Detroit Motown sound at all. So you have these brothers, a family of brothers, uh, black, that were playing this rock music, this punk music. Punk music. And so these guys, they try to uh, they do the music, they try to get deals, they, they have uh, a very like you know, uh, sort of spiritual connection to the the music that they're making and the name of their band, which is called Death, which is in, in 1970, early 70s, you know, was just not marketable and super welcoming. Yeah. Name. Yeah. And so that so it never really worked. So they it didn't pan out. They uh, took their recordings, put it up in an attic. The um, Bobby Hackney Sr. Uh, packed it up, moved to Vermont. Uh, got here, started a reggae band called Lamb's Bread. You guys might know uh, Lamb's Bread. They, he developed the Vermont Reggae Festival. And that part of his music was way behind him. He had uh, kids, had a family. The kids all grew up to be musicians. Um, and they caught wind, the sons caught wind of, of this, you know, project or something, you know, something like they found the music and decided to play that music. They started a band called Rough Francis, uh, which your brother's in. Correct. Yeah. He plays bass. And then next thing you know, the story of that, of death's role in the music history, you know, uh, it needed to be told, and a documentary came out about it. And um, a documentary, a band called Death, right? Uh, it went like crazy in South by Southwest, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that where it was? Yeah, yeah, made by a guy with Vermont ties, Jeff Hallett. That's um, right. Was the director. Yeah. It was a great time. It was that Motown time. And you know, here we are in the middle of all of this, playing rock and roll. I agree with uh, with Luis that uh, the, the story of death is just so um, remarkable and surprising um, and important. Um, and I think what has come out of that um, in large part is this band, Rough Francis. And again, full disclosure, my brother is in the band. Um, so take whatever I say with the appropriate grain of salt. Um, with a biased grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> they were on uh, the Tony Hawk uh, soundtrack recently. Tony Hawk's a big fan of the band. Um, and they're, yeah, they're, they're just kind of one of the... Um, you know, shining examples of, of Vermont music right now. Awesome. We've got some other shining examples. We've got quite a list, actually. So a lot of music cranking out of Vermont, which is awesome. There's definitely uh, Eugene Hutz of Gogo Bordello. Um, Morgan Page, who's a Grammy-nominated electronic producer. Carolyn Rose. Oh, I love her. She's so good. Um, <laughs> Kyle Thomas, a.k.a. King Tough, and Tune Yards. So that's, pro- that's a good chunk of folks. I think uh, a big shout-out to Grace Potter. Mm-hmm. With Kenny Chesney. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that song is one of my like dark favorites. Really? Oh yeah. You and tequila. <gasps> oh boy. Yeah. I can get in my feels pretty quickly with that one. Good to know. I, I would just jump in here to and add a couple other other names too. When we think about um, Big Joe Burrell and the unnamed blues band, um, Ray Vega, who Vermont public listeners know. What I love about this list is I think it chafes a little bit against the stereotype of Vermont and in a in a really good way. You know, I think we're talking about this really diverse music scene in terms of the people who are making the music, but also the types of music. And that's not necessarily the outside perspective of what Vermont, quote unquote, is. And I think it it shows that there is more to this state than our stereotypes, and we're we're making some really cool stuff here. There's a lot of problems in Vermont that also get a little bit uh, whitewashed, shall I say, or glossed over when you we shall, think you of, shall, yeah, yeah. 
when we think about the stereotype of Vermont, but that Vermont music scene that is so diverse and has these people making waves beyond the state that aren't sort of the stereotype of Vermont, I think is just really a really cool part of our music scene. All of the notable authors and writers and, yeah, people who have come here to just, like, reflect and write poetry. I mean, there's Robert Frost. I don't know. Jane, I'm throwing it to you. Talk to Uh-oh. me. So I do think there's a there are a lot of authors who come here and some of whom grew up here or have a deeper connection than just moving here, but have found this to be a good place to create their art. And for some of them, it was art in exile. You know, you can think of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, not known as a Vermont writer necessarily, but certainly did a lot of creation and a lot of work here. Not quite a Vermonter, but we, you know, we kind of claim him. We um, do that sometimes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and Robert Frost, too, uh, claimed by both Vermont and New Hampshire, of course. And, you know, people like Rudyard Kipling. Um, Rudyard Kipling's work, not really thought of as Vermont work, but he did a lot of his seminal writing while living in our area. Yeah, I I was thinking of some other Vermont writers, like Shirley Jackson is the first one um, oh, yeah, that comes lottery. to mind for me. I mean, she's one of the most influential horror writers of the 20th century. Um and she did a lot of her um, her seminal work here. Um, Chris Bajalian, right? Um, yeah, of course. You know, he's yeah. a hugely he's like almost like Vermont Stephen King at this point. Like he is a hugely hugely popular writer. Um, the flight attendant on HBO was really fun. So rad. Catherine Patterson, we should talk about as well. I mean, there's there are also a lot of current um, YA authors that are based here that are doing work that's recognized nationally. Um, and you know, I, I think a, a lot of authors who grew up here as well who aren't known as Vermonters, but, um, you know, who, who are creating especially young adult work. This is a really great place for young adult writers. Yeah. Kekla Magoon, I think she was, uh, like, shortlisted for the National Book Award a year or so ago. Poetry in Vermont is also something that's been super strong. You can think about Galway Cannell, Grace Paley, Hayden Carruth, Robert Frost, who we mentioned, who's known as a, a Vermont and New Hampshire poet. But a, a lot of the poets who we have celebrated here in Vermont are also celebrated far beyond. We have a bunch of cartoonists here, too, that are really well-known. Harry Bliss, um, Ed Corrin, really wonderful cartoonists. Alison Bechtel, just talk about people who are amazing. She has illustrated uh, her move to Vermont and what that was about and the partner that she was with at the time. And she eventually ditched the partner but kept the state. And so Vermont has become part of who she is and part of her art. And I I make a distinction between the people who have their second homes here and, and fly in or drive in and you know keep to themselves as different from the people like Luis Guzman or Alison Bechtel or other people who come here and move here and become part of the fabric of the community in mm-hmm. Vermont. And I would say Alison is, is one of those people. The outdoors. Luis, do you want to talk to us about Burton snowboards? Yeah, we, of course. Uh, honored to. I think that, that is, this is an example of brand uh, founded by uh, Jake Burton, uh, Carpenter and his wife Donna Carpenter, um, like early seventies. You know they they uh, created this and fought for, pushed for the inclusion of this activity in ski, at ski resorts, snowboarding. Yeah, snowboarding. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like naturally accepted. There was a bunch of many years of not letting snowboarders up or having a, like a number of restrictions around snowboarding. Um, and was it more dangerous? Why, why, just curious. It was really uh, more about the, the the cultural shift, the energy from around you know that that group of the people the that people. came with it. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. It was like the hip hop of skiing. It, that's really uh, well. It wasn't. It didn't start out as a hip hop of skiing. Okay. It sort of started out born out of like the surf and snowboard, um, surf and skate sort of energy. The the rebel rousers of culture, mm-hmm. counterculture, and then they brought that to skiing, which at the time was you know this very elite, uh, you know, just different, much different than what it is now. And uh, on crack of skiing, the, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then he just kicked down some doors and brought us all up there, and you know we changed the we changed the the face of of winter activities forever. I mean, it went from like a, a, an activity that w- that couldn't make it to the mountain to becoming 
on an Olympic category, you know, and and giving us folks like uh, Kelly Clarkson, Kelly Clark, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> yeah, I do this all the time. My whole life, my whole career, I tried not to say Kelly Clarkson. Right, okay. <laughs> I just did it. On the oh my god, just funny. launching the song already. Kelly Clark. And the woman right now, who is the sixth most trending topic on Twitter right now, Kelly Clark. With back-to-back colds, the first time ever in women's superpipe, and she is about to take the lifestyle that came along with uh, that activity, the the art, the you know the fashion, all of that has has uh, had an incredible impact around the world, and that's right here. And, and, you know, from Vermont. So Burton, yes. And the, but then also the ski culture in Vermont. And I think, you know, again, we we come up against the the rub of our stereotype when it comes to ski culture in Vermont. And when I was a kid in the early 80s, you know, we wore this sort of badge of honor of like real Vermonters don't ski. But it was mostly real Vermonters without money don't ski. And, you know, one of my mentors and former colleagues here at Vermont Public, John Van Hoosen, grew up as a um, a farm kid in Vermont. And he was like, look, when we were kids, we did ski, but we skied in our jeans. Right. And my mom made us sandwiches. And maybe we sat in the lodge to eat them to warm up. But, you know, this skiing was different. And I, I think we're still struggling here and it from the outside perspective with how to make skiing a part of our, our culture without making it this elitist sport that only tourists can do or only white people can do or only rich people can do or right. all three. Or nobody can do because there isn't Cause any no snow. snow. Right. Yeah. I feel like we're known for our foliage. I mean, it's gorgeous. But then I go to New Hampshire. I'm like, it's also gorgeous here. I'll go to Massachusetts. Like, it's it's also gorgeous here. I feel like our covered bridges are part of our Hallmark card. Possibly a Hallmark movie. I'm not sure. Hey, but let me. Do you guys like covered bridges? Yeah, I, I love mean, them. How do you like dislike a covered? Yeah, bridge? what do you mean? Do you like I, covered bridges? You're like, damn it, I'm <laughs> driving really, on this thing. I, it's I, got a roof. Yo, I thought I was really gonna make my, you know, be safe <laughs> here, and I just like blew it. <laughs> well, so what do you not I like? Fine, like I just on it. I mean, like you know. <laughs> like you get to it, you get to a covered bridge, and then you drive through. You know, you drive through it, and yeah. then it's over. I don't hold on to the nostalgia of old timeyness. I guess maybe for me, and I think that that's like it's the Miami. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But I'm not. I've never really been a covered bridge guy. I, I go to them, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of terrifying, right? They're like they're rickety. You can't see. You can't. You can't see what it. other cars like, are in there. It's like running, a shed. It's like a them? shed over a over a river. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Basically, no. no, no we're I'm not, not bringing Louise no, to any. I'm not into that, that because of champ. <laughs> Vermont <laughs> is known for the great outdoors, and I think that is part of our prestige, and that's mm-hmm. certainly part of the tourism campaign. But it is also a part of who we are as a state and what we value. We don't allow billboards. We do try to have connectivity for our wildlife. We try sometimes fail to have agricultural spaces that can preserve our rural nature. And I think as we continue to grow and as we see more climate refugees, we're going to struggle with some of that. But that is part of who Vermont is fundamentally, mm-hmm. is a place that values the outdoors. When By it, the way, in our, in our may I? Y- I think you already are. I'm about to lose my Vermont <laughs> card. Thanks, Jane. <laughs> hey, but I'll tell you, the thing about the billboards yeah. is like, sometimes I feel like... Um, some of these rules and laws uh, may have served the point and was really great, uh, but then it's like such an overcorrection because I feel like it it works all the way down to just general signage. And what am I like when I'm going to Williston to all the box stores to try to buy stuff on the weekend? There's like no signs anywhere. You can't identify where anything is on, on because of the billboard uh, law. So I think it's like uh, you know in an effort to be picturesque let's say uh it's or, or not or not become like uh you know suburban strip, malls, sprouse, yeah. strip mall but we do have strip malls and and you don't know where any of the stuff is in them so. <laughs> you just can't find right. it thanks bernie sanders <laughs> oh segue <laughs> So it's a perfect segue into politics. This category features Vermont politics, but also just like political people or things that have gone viral in their own right. And yeah, I mean, Bernie Sanders seems like a good a good person to begin with. Bernie, the man, the meme, the mittens. The Vermont senator went viral with his casual and comfy inauguration outfit on Wednesday, complete with a parka and handmade wool mittens 
but it was his Luis, you were on his campaign for a while. I was, yeah. I was the uh, uh, the director of arts, culture, and the youth vote for the Bernie Sanders 2016 presidential campaign. And full disclosure, I do believe that your campaign hired me to sing some songs. Thank you for your support. <laughs> no problem. Just want to let our listeners know. Yeah. Bernie's been on Saturday Night Live. Like, people have been depicting Bernie. He's kind of become famous as a character as well, this Bernie meme. What was the Bernie Christmas ornament that went viral this year? Why did he Why did he become so famous for himself as a character? And then also, did he acknowledge that that was happening, like, in real time? Was he like, oh, I'm on SNL, like Larry David's, like, playing me on SNL? I mean, that was super surreal, that entire thing of all, you know— uh, just becoming part of pop culture. And do I think that the senator was uh, aware of that? Yes. Uh, But he uh, was really then, and I still believe now, pretty uh, focused on his key issues. He he always was aware of it all that was happening, but he always made a point to acknowledge it, but then come right back to the, the, the main issues that were at hand for him. So like when Cardi B was endorsing him and hanging out with him, did he understand like... That he'd made it in the hip hop world. You no, know no, what I no, mean? No, like, no. I mean, like the first, at least on 2016, the like, guy had the opportunity to meet with him and say, "Hey, there's like Senator. There's all these rappers that are big, you know, talking about you. There's this one guy. His name is Killer Mike, and he's like a real, you know, he's a big fan. Is is really uh, endorsing, you know, talking about you and is endorsing you, and uh, you know, talking about bringing him into the campaign. And he's like, uh, <laughs> he's like, so uh, this Killer Mike is he uh, is he good? And I'm like, you know, are you are you familiar with Chuck D of Public Enemy? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm an old white guy. I don't know much about the hip hop. So know? self-aware, self-aware. Yeah. He never really got gassed on um uh on the celebrity part of it. Uh, which which I think, I I think I a lot of people um is what you know at a lower frequency or at some sort of spiritual level is what people really appreciated about him as a candidate is that you could just tell he wasn't about any of that. Well, I think what Luis is saying is part of what makes him so memeable. You know, Bernie's going to be Bernie. He is focused on the things that he cares about. And his sartorial choices are not something he cares about. There was a national article a decade ago about uh, how Bernie Sanders seemed to be changing his look because his hair was brushed more often in the Senate, you know, and like, you know, so it was like this breathless article about how, you know, what's going on? Bernie's just more cleaned up than usual. But he has never seemed to be somebody who cares about that. And so he's going to wear the mittens that are comfortable that he has on hand to the inauguration. And he's going to sit there looking like he's got another appointment to go to because he probably does. You know, and so I think that that's what people love about Senator Sanders is that he is who he is unapologetically so and he's not going to change because he got famous. I think that is memeable. Yeah. All right. But then there's some people who are famous for their scream. Yeah. Poor Howard Dean. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Uh, Howard Dean, who has done, uh, who did a lot for Vermont and then obviously became known on the national scene when he ran for president. And then uh, even after that, has been very influential and important in Democratic politics on the national scene, but is known outside of Vermont for the scream. Why? Why? I mean, we didn't even have TikTok then. Can you imagine what would have happened now? That could have been the original meme. Yeah, that may have been the original meme at at pop culture level because it 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 destroyed. I mean, the power of that little ten seconds, you know, changed this man's uh, the history and the trajectory that he was going on, and what and also where Vermont as a representative of Vermont, what how we were affiliated with him. Okay. I'll jump in here because somebody's got to. Real talk, this conversation went on for nearly three hours, which is a testament to our brave little state and its cultural impact. Some of the things we talked about but couldn't include in today's episode are actors who live in Vermont, William H. Macy and Ana de Armas, well-known theater troops like Bread and Puppet and Circus Smirkus, other musicians like Joshua Panda and authors like John Irving, 
Gabby Elnicki, who as of this recording is a Vermonter on the show The Bachelor, and other important Vermont names like Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, John Deere of tractor fame, and of course, Calvin Coolidge, whose famous quote about Vermont inspired the name of our show. And since it's clear that not only are we cool, relevant, hip, and do have a presence in the world of pop culture, I think it's safe to assume we should stay tuned, that we'll be seeing more yet from this state we get to call home. Than all the miles combined You must have had yourself a change of heart Like halfway through the drive Because your voice trailed off Exactly as you passed my exit We should do this yearly, I feel I would be down I, I love talking So uh, this is the dream come true um, I am looking forward to personally um, Seeing who some of the other folks That we um, might be talking about I suspect actually that they might come from The Vermont hip-hop scene I think there's folks like 99 Neighbors Um who are going to be blowing up North Ave Jacks. Um, and I think that might be the next kind of surprising uh, cultural phenomenon to come out of Vermont. I, I think we may be hearing about Becca Ballant on the national scene as well, you know, already starting to make waves. Certainly one of Vermont's last, the last state in the nation to send a woman to Congress. But I, I'd be curious in five years what people outside of Vermont know about her, too. And I just want to state for the record, I really love Vermont cheese. <laughs> <laughs> We're not holding it against you. <laughs> Dream each night of some version of you that I might not have, but I didn't lose. Now your tired tracks in one pair of shoes, and I'm split in half, but that'll have to do, have to do. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and thanks to Sarah Morin for the super fun question. To see some of the familiar faces we talked about today and some shots of me on Vermont Avenue, head to bravelittlestate.org. Also, in honor of March Madness, Brave Little State is making a bracket for Vermont cultural phenomena, so keep your eyes out for that as well. While you're there, you can submit your own question about Vermont, sign up for the BLS newsletter, and vote on which question you want us to answer next. We're on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. Also, if you have more to say about pop culture and Vermont, maybe there's some things we left out or some things you disagree with, our inbox is open. Send us an email at hello at bravelittlestate.org. I'm Myra Flynn. I reported and produced this episode. I also did the mix and sound design, editing and additional production from the rest of the Brave Little State team, Angela Evansy, Josh Crane, and May Nagusky. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions, and of course, Noah Cotton, and the creators of the Bernie meme song, Ari Joshua, Russ Lawton, and Ray Pikowski. Special thanks to James Stewart, Michaela LaFrac, and Peter and Mary Angish. Also, a quick thanks to the folks I spoke with on Vermont Avenue, Mike McCallum, Clay and Alice Thomas, Oscar Deal, Skylar Clotter, and the random guy driving in the middle of the street who let me get close to his car with a microphone. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public and a proud member of the NPR Network. We have support from our station sustaining members. If you like what you heard today, head to bravelittlestate.org slash donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Myra Flynn. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. In the meantime, keep it rad, Vermont. 